<laughs> well, we always never write podcast. Okay. <laughs> Did you just sneeze? No, I laughed into my hand, but I understand why it would look like a sneeze. I will be, I'm, I'm going to mute myself. That's not, how, that's not how, you, that's not how any of this works. But two hands <laughs> over my mouth makes me quiet. Sort of, I guess. All right, here we go. Ready? Yes. Okay. Welcome to the Always Never Write podcast, a podcast for Gen Xers who are getting to middle age and wondering how the fuck it happened. I'm Jill Farrells. And I'm Cheetah Biggs, and today we are going to talk about latent misogyny. <gasps> Terrifying, Ooh. isn't it? Yes. But, but before we get started, let's talk about our beverage for this evening. Actually, tonight, it's a little bit more like beverages. You, my friend, are having a classic martini. From the looks of it, it's a little on the dirty side. You're a dirty girl tonight. I am. Did you, did you put olive juice in it? I did indeed. I used myself some good old Monkey 47 gin, which, as we all know, I enjoy thoroughly. Um, uh, some I, I poured some olive juice in it because that's how you make a martini dirty. And for my... <laughs> I, I also olives. don't like olive juice. I don't like gin. I don't like olive juice. I, okay. I kind of feel sad for your very sheltered little life. And who would have thought? I'm the okay, you, wow. Okay, I, I was about to say, as someone who grew up on a farm with nothing going on, how are you the sheltered one? Anyway, and my vermouth is a wonderful Antica Formula um, by Antica? Antica Formula by, um, I can't remember, I can't find. Oh, it's man. not like Campari? No, it's not Campari. It's a uh, Carpano. Carpano oh, okay. Antica Formula, and it is okay. very good. And I will say that the um, Antica Formula actually is a little bit of the brown also, but I love olives. I love olive juice. I've been eating olives much of the evening, quite frankly. And um, so, of course, I poured the juice in my martini, and I also made a very wet martini. I did a three-to-one ratio rather than oh, a wow. walk it past a room with vermouth in it as for a dry martini. Gotcha. Just, like, looking at the vermouth. Exactly. And it is very lovely. I am enjoying my wet, dirty martini. Well, go you. Mm -hmm. um, I am doing the James Bond classic, a Vesper, which is what he drank in Casino Royale. In researching this, I actually found out that I think this drink was invented by none other than Ian Fleming. Isn't that crazy awesome? So that I think that puts me like one degree of separation from Ian Fleming. Oh, it absolutely does. So that's kind of cool. So mine is um, three parts gin and one part vodka and half part Lilit Blanc, which is, it's actually kind of yummy. I tasted it just by itself. And it's, I guess it's sort of like a fortified wine, but it's kind of good. I wouldn't just like drink it by itself. I don't know that it's like a by itself sort of booze, but it's not bad. And then you just add a pretty lemon twist to it. I'll put pictures of both up on the website as well as both recipes this week up on alwaysneverwrite.com. How do you like yours? Is it good? I really enjoy it. I mean, it's a little bit sweet because it's wet. And um, it's also funny when you say wet. <laughs> I know it sounds oddly um, horrific. I think it's sexual. called wet. I think it's called sweet, like dry and sweet. I think those are the opposites, not wet. Okay. 
well, I feel dumb. Anyway, but <laughs> for someone with for someone with a law degree, I feel oddly dumb and uncultured. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it's also somewhat salty, so I have some Chex Mix on the side in case I get the nibbles. Because I think it would go very well with this um, dirty, sweet martini. It is actually really nice. Yeah. As with a drink I talked about previously that I can't remember off the top of my head. It burns the, it, it, it can burn your nose hairs off. Yeah, that uh, happens. But it's yummy. And I, it's, it's briny and kind of awesome. And um, I like, I like briny. Briny can be good. Like I, I dig me a good Bloody Mary. Like maybe we should do those next week or sometime soon. I like, you don't like Bloody Marys? I hate You made me do gin for like three weeks in a row. Uh, So you're just going to have to do a Bloody Mary. But it's tomato juice, not gin. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what. You do the Bloody Mary and the next time you come to visit, we'll have a Bloody Mary and I can make a really good one. You want me to drink pasta sauce? No. I want you to drink fresh tomato juice. What if we make it out of fresh tomato juice, like actual tomatoes off the vine where we make the juice and that's what turns into our Bloody Mary. I don't have to chew it. I might be able to acquiesce to that. I think like if you take the tomato water and you turn that into a Bloody Mary, that might be tasty. I will give that, I will give that a solid try. Okay, cool. Cause I just totally invented that right now. Go you and fentanyl fresh fruits. Right. It's just because I've already had half of my drink and I didn't have dinner. Because I have to tell you this. So I made lasagna for dinner tonight. So Millie has a friend over. His name is Dakota. And Millie and Dakota are out in the pool right now. And they went to the they went to the mall earlier after we saw Spider-Man. But I decided I would make... See, Dakota had just gotten new braces. And so I thought, well, I will make um lasagna for dinner because dakota can eat that it's nice and soft it won't hurt his face all that stuff so i was making lasagna and quite honestly i made the best lasagna sauce i've ever made before ever oh do tell do tell yeah so i was making i did the meat first i always do like a half italian sausage and half ground beef right good good mix there then you dump that out and you make the onions and the garlic. Stir that up together with a little bit of butter. And you let it get kind of brown and get some of the brown on the bottom. And then I poured in a little bit of cognac because it did not have any red wine. Poured in a little bit of cognac to sort of deglaze the pan. And then I added some cream to it. And then I added the tomato sauce. And oh my God, it was so good. It was really, really, really good. It sounds downright blissful. And I want to horn in on your gig real quick and say there are moments when I think I must be such a horrible disappointment to my mother (laughs) because she is such a phenomenal cook and she can, she can make diamonds out of any charcoal you give her to put pop in the oven. And I can just reduce it all to ashes no matter what I do. Well, I almost called you after I tasted the sauce and I was like, Oh my God, this is the best sauce I ever made. I almost called you or texted you and said, have you ever made something that was so good you thought this should be in restaurants because this is incredible. If I ever went on like chopped, this is what I would make. And then I realized that wouldn't be you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it would not. You'll be on chopped. I'll be on worst, worst cooks in America. That's a good show though. Maybe they could teach you how to cook. I, you know, I should look into that. So I can go. 
I would nominate you. I would be happy to nominate you. You probably should. And could you um could, could make them that pumpkin soup? <laughs> I, I think I'm the only person in the world who'd like that fucking pumpkin soup. Here's, here's my pumpkin soup that I made, and they'd be all <laughs> it has a lot of white pepper and cream in it. Okay? It's it's I almost always say anything with cream is delicious. And yet <laughs> All right, so I, let's uh let's move what on. What do you think? What do you think of your fucking cocktail, shitface? <laughs> <laughs> well, my cocktail is really fucking strong. <laughs> Admittedly, I recognize that martinis are literally booze with booze and then some booze. I get that. <laughs> it's just alcohol and nothing but. So there's no juice. There's no sweetness. There's no nothing. It is just fuck you up in a glass. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Do you remember in the last Star Trek movie when the girl was like, they told me if I drank this, it would take the edges off. Well, the edges are not off. My edges are off. My edges are so <laughs> off, I am practically round. <laughs> Which is hilarious because you're so skinny. I am kind of skinny. Sorry. But, yeah. but not in a bad way. No, not in I, like a, a sandwich way. And I must... Um, state that not that any body form is bad all body shapes are valid and awesome yes indeed if you're healthy and you love yourself fucking rock what you got absolutely and i wish i'd learned that 30 years ago same but i grew up on shit like james bond yeah well and that's part of the problem so let's talk a little bit about that Let's do. Oh, do you like how I segued us? I'm very proud of me right now. Really, really good. That was excellent segueing. Thank I you. I want to talk about James Bond. I want to talk a little bit about, but I, before we get into James Bond specifically, I want to talk about like toxic masculinity and toxic femininity because I think they're both sort of relevant in this case. There's this idea that men have to be like, don't cry because men don't cry. Don't be feeling you have to do all of these certain things you have to be strong you have to be bold you have to be decisive you have to like have a chiseled jaw all of these things to be a man and then women i think women are actually worse right now at this than men in many ways because there are so many like right now in our culture there are so many versions of what men are but i think there are kind of only two versions of what women are well not two but close to that like the one madonna Madonna whore well i wouldn't say that i would go like princess slash diva as one and i find that absolutely abhorrent yes and then the complete bitch right Mm. like the whole adage of happy wife happy life that sounds horrible to me doesn't that just make people look like a shrew? I think that is one of the most shrill descriptions of a woman I've ever heard in my entire life. And I hate it. I hate it too. And I hate the idea, like, and I would, I will absolutely say that to me, Mariah Carey is the embodiment of evil. <laughs> she tries this glitter. She has to be sexy. She has to be all of the things that I absolutely abhor. 
Mm. I think that a woman can be sexy and a woman can be beautiful and a woman can be smart and a woman can be funny and all of these things without wearing high heels and tight clothes and satin nightgowns and whatever. Like I saw something on TV and she was, she had her hair all teased up and she was trying to wear like a, I don't even fucking know. She was wearing like a satin negligee and she was stoking the fire in her house. I was like, what the fuck are you even doing? Dude. Now I gotta say, I do like wearing, like I I have fancy pajamas because fancy pajamas make me feel good, but it's because they make me feel good. And by fancy pajamas, I mean like I love pajama pants and a tank top. They make me feel fucking awesome. And I have a Calvin Klein pair. I have an Ugg pair, but they make me feel good and comfortable and nice in my own skin. And I don't, I love John the Brit, like nobody's business, but I don't give a shit what he thinks of me in my fancy pajamas. If he likes it, awesome. If he doesn't, oh, well, too damn bad I didn't do it for him. Right. Absolutely. So there we go. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. And I have a big problem with it. I agree. You know what really fucked me up as a kid? And this was not on our pre-research list, because I swear to God, we do research before we podcast. We actually do. I did quite a bit today. Yes, she did. Uh, One of the things that fucked me up, and I don't blame the actress for this at all, but me in particular, what fucked me up was um, uh, Claire Huxtable. Why? Because like I wanted to be an attorney like her when I grew up. But she was an attorney, and she kept the house clean, and she did the cooking, and she did all this stuff with the kids. And I remember one episode in particular where she just wanted a weekend to herself, and for sitcom reasons, it went all kerfluffly. Time out. Two things. First of all, you said kerfluffly, and I don't even know what that means. Secondly, I don't remember Claire Huxtable ever cleaning the house. Like, she did cooking, but I don't ever remember her cleaning the house. I think it was more implied. I thought um, they had a maid. Did they have a maid? I don't remember a maid. All I know is that Claire was doing fucking everything. She was working at a law firm. I mean, she was in a law firm, not even like government or corporate where you're allowed to have a life at least 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, but a firm where you're allowed to have a life eight hours a day when you're sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I know it was cool in the sitcom world to have a doctor married to a lawyer, but that kind of fucked me up because when I grew up and I became an attorney and I tried to take care of the house, do all the cooking and be an attorney all day long, I couldn't fucking do it. And I felt like a failure. And I call it the Claire Huxtable effect. Therapists everywhere, you're welcome to use that. Although copyright me because I'm with royalties. (laughs) Well, I grew up in a house where my mom didn't work outside the home except she was an artist. And at one point she had, I think we've talked about this. She had a, um, let's not call it a scholarship. She had a grant and we had a laundry lady who came and did the laundry cause she really hated doing laundry and completely sucked at it. She didn't suck as bad as I do, but she kind of sucked at it. And so she had somebody that helped her do laundry. And so that was cool. But because of it, I suck at doing laundry and I actually have found a service here in town. I work from home, but I work 
literally 40 hours a week and sometimes a little bit more than that because I go to work in the morning. I work until I am done. Basically, I work until I'm done with my day. I've got certain things I have to accomplish during the day, certain things I have to accomplish during the month. So, you know, my mom kind of set me up for failure in a lot of ways too, because I had shit I had to get done and, and I can't get all this stuff done around the house and working from home, people look at you like, oh my God, you're such a failure. You don't get all your shit done. And I'm like, I'm fucking chained to my computer eight hours a day. I'm lucky if I get a lunch break. And the only reason I get a lunch break is because T works right across the hall from me. He works from home too. And he's like, TikTok motherfucker, we're going to lunch. You know, isn't that um, isn't that a kick in the ass? Because T, when he works from home, it's like, oh my gosh, look what he can do under the most exigent circumstances. Whereas when yeah. you work from home, it's like, well, why isn't you getting laundry done while she's at it? Fuck that noise. That's Although T actually does the laundry. He does a much better job at laundry than I do, but I do all the other stuff. Except we do have a service now that I have found called Tidy. I'll give a shout out to them because they're amazing. And for not a whole lot of money, they come in every other week and they do like the deep scrubbing. They scrub the kitchen and vacuum the floors and, you know, they do all the stuff that I just don't have time to do. I can keep everything kind of picked up, but they do all the like the deep cleaning stuff that I just don't have time to do. And I'm like, fine, I will pay you 80 bucks every other week to do that. We do it on payday weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, when you're an adult, you have to do it payday weeks. That's payday week. It's part of adulting. It's not living in paycheck to paycheck. Good for you. I know. I am for you. Let's move back to what we're talking about. Let's talk about James Bond. James Bond. Let's talk about James Bond. Tell me what you think about James Bond and misogyny. Okay, this is what um, I... I actually find kind of hilarious in retrospect. I, I like to think of myself as a fairly intellectual child because I was weird. Um, yeah. We all know this. True um, story. But I, oh, drink. Drink. True story. Sorry. Um, but at, when I was a kid, I loved James Bond movies because they were so freaking over the top and so Girl, crazy. Love them. Oh, I know, right? But I remember my older sister coming to me while I was watching a James Bond movie and going, why are you watching this horrible woman-hating stuff? And I was like, woman-hating? But there's women all over this. Now that I'm an adult, I realize all the women in James Bond movies, especially the Sean Connery years and to some extent the Roger Moore years. Oh, yeah. they Yeah. They were plot points and not women. And it didn't occur to me, like the woman who is painted in gold and suffocated, which, by the way, is a total fabrication that cannot actually happen. Um, what? No, it can't. Well, no, it can't literally happen. But didn't the paint actually cause them problems when they were, like, trying to film it? Usually, um, and I need to research this particular, I didn't know you were going to call me out on this, so I didn't research it, but... They actually left a patch of skin at the base of her back. I do know this from I do know research. that. I did read that. Yeah. But in actuality, if you can breathe through your nose, if your face is functional, you will live. <laughs> I think that's fair. 
that's fair. I mean, if you can breathe, you're going to be fine. Yeah, but, I think that seems fine. Like, I didn't understand why they said she would die. Like, I know no, nobody died, but I thought she, like, got close. Yeah, I, d- I don't think so. I think that's an orange legend. Um, go on Snopes. really it. bad rash or something. <laughs> Rashes yeah. are bad. Kind of like Buddy Epson on Wizard of Oz. He got yeah, a sh- the aluminum thing. Exactly. But I remember uh, my oldest sister, I'll call her Aurora. um, She was like, this is horrible. They're horrible in how they um, portray women. And it it didn't occur to me, but yeah, they were all objects. They They were were nothing but, they were objects and plot points. And it wasn't until I was older that it was like, holy shit, Aurora is totally right. Well, I mean, that's been kind of the thing through media throughout the ages, right? I mean... Mm -hmm. I'll say ages, but it's, of course, just TV and movies and stuff like that. So what is that, it, like though? 75 years? Is it, though? Remember the wife and the Canterbury Tales? Here's the I thing, mean, though. You can't hold, back in the olden days, you can't hold people to standards that are a, that are pertinent now from before. So, like, this is the problem I have, and I, and I know that I'm going to get some shit for this. This is the problem I have with the Me Too movement. People who are talking about things that happened back in the 70s and 80s, it doesn't make it right that it happened, but culturally, that was acceptable behavior. Just like culturally, the ads that were happening back in the 60s and 70s, they were what we look at now and we're like, holy shit, that was appropriate back then? It was. It doesn't make it right, but it makes it appropriate back then. You know, we look at slavery now and we recognize that it was bad, but back then they didn't know that. And you can kind of equate it with medicine if you want. Think about this. My mother had migraine headaches her whole life and she's pissed because she's a bitter bitch, but she's (laughs) pissed. (laughs) She's pissed because she didn't get diagnosed with migraines until the mid eighties when we moved to Michigan. Well, they didn't actually track migraines. Nobody understood migraines until the mid 80s. That's that's when they started figuring out, hey, this is a thing. Migraines are a thing. Let's start talking about this. Start researching this. In 1988 is when they started classifying migraines into the four different types. So you couldn't get diagnosed with migraines until then. And if you want to look at that as like, Think about fibromyalgia. You couldn't get diagnosed with fibromyalgia because nobody knew about it. Nobody diagnosed it until they realized, hey, this is a legitimate thing. So you can't hold people to the standards. Millie has Tourette syndrome. A hundred years ago, she would have been possessed because that's what they understood. Mm. So you can't hold people to the same standards that you would now. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. Back in the day, it was different. So yes, it's misogynist looking back at it, but was it misogynist back then? It kind of, it was, but we didn't understand that that's what was going on. And I guess it should have been, but it wasn't. And that's it should have been, but we didn't know about that. We didn't know that there was something wrong with that. I can't remember if I ever told you this, but like uh, my mother... Um, she worked for an insurance office for a while when she, yeah. right. At, Cause she went from high school to a uh, business school 
and work for an insurance agent. And she applied for an insurance license herself. And, um, oh, are you getting your lasagna? Yeah, hold on just a second. Okay. Oh, fucking what? I've got to try this. I have so fucking got to try this. Oh my god, there's the best lasagna ever. Okay, so James Bond is incredibly problematic because talking about misogyny, there was not a woman treated like anything but an object until George Lazenby. Yeah, but George Lazenby was a total dick. Exactly, right? So that really is sad. I will say, in the Casino Royale, which is the movie after my drink, um, they were treated, they weren't treated with misogyny, they were treated very, um, what's the word I'm like, chivalry. And in many ways, chivalry is... Because that was, what's his name? David Niven? Yes. Chivalry is very misogynistic if you think about it. But I'm probably a bad feminist for allowing, for feeling like it's okay for men to open the door for me. Like, I still open the door for them, too. Like, T opens the door for me, and I'm like, yeah, right on. And then I'll open the next door for him because I got there first. You know what I always say? Oh, let me return the favor. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I I hear that. It's um one thing I love about John the Brit, and I it's, it could annoy you, it could make you love him either way. Um, <laughs> but he he's he's very it's all standards. So if you do something for me, that's fine. If I do something for you, that's fine. Doesn't matter either way. So does he open doors for me? No. You know, not unless he's there first. If I'm there first, I do. But it's so freaking equal. He has no concept of a man should always do this for the woman. Well, okay, I take that back. He has some concept of that, but less than most men. So when I grew up in Michigan, this is not, we're not even on topic. Nah, fuck it. Are we ever? When I grew up in Michigan, um, and then I moved with my family to Texas. Um, <laughs> in Texas, they were very much the gentleman, and let's open the door for the little lady and all that stuff. And it was weird to me because I didn't know what to expect. So I would be walking into the mall, and a guy, a good 30, 40 paces in front of me would stand there with the door open and I would freak me out and I would be like, oh, I forgot something in my car. I have to turn around and go back because I would think he was waiting there for me to like do something bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I totally get that though. I mean, it's, there's this whole thing we grew up with that if, if, if a man does something for you, you owe him and that's wrong. We don't owe them jack shit. Well, I, except common courtesy, grown up me never felt like I owed anybody anything because I'm just that kind of girl. (laughs) That's why I love you. I never felt like I owed anybody anything, but I felt weird accepting things from people, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes total sense. I didn't feel like I owed them if I did accept it, but 
I didn't feel comfortable accepting it to start with. You know, I remember being at a bar with one of my friends from college and someone sent me a drink at the bar and I was like, oh, you know what? I'm done. I don't need anything. And she looked at me and said, what? You can't turn down a drink. It's not polite. And I remember thinking, why the fuck isn't it? I don't want the drink. Why should I feel obligated to drink it? Yeah, I can do whatever I want. I'm a grown ass man. I can do what I want. Fuck that noise. (laughs) So, okay. The next subject on our list is Luke and Leia. Oh, my Lord. Okay, number one, I had the Star Wars trading cards. Remember, you would always get those trading cards with the gum packets. Yeah, I had the Empire Strikes Back trading cards, and T's sister and I used to go hang out with another girl, and we would trade trading cards. Like, I had a stack, a big-ass stack of these. I had no one to trade them with because I was me. Um <laughs> But I had them for all three movies. I still have the trading cards when it says Luke is 21 years old and Leia is 19 years old. How is that possible? Exactly, right? So don't, George Lucas, don't you fucking tell me you knew what was going on from the beginning because I know you didn't because I have the trading cards in my mother's basement. You should definitely keep those because you could sell them for millions of dollars. Oh, hell yeah. I have Mork and Mindy trading cards. Also not worth a lot of money. But no, cool. but cool. Because I was the epitome of cool. Yeah, you still are. Ups. Anyway, um, but no, that was number one. But number uh, number two, I remember, okay, and this was a discussion I had with John the Brit earlier. I remember when I first saw Princess Leia in the first movie, I think I legitimately believe that one of the reasons I loved it so much is because she was a badass from movie one. And I'm sorry, it's still movie one. But they kind of made her a shrill bitch, right? In some ways, but at the same time... Out of my way, you walking carpet. That was kind of bitchy. You know what, though? I think that was kind of badass. Like, you know what? You're being a shit. Get out of my way. Just because I'm a woman. All he was doing is walking, and he was a fine person. But the person she could understand, Han, was being a misogynist shit. True. And And I say that as someone who loves Harrison Ford. And... Yeah, Han Solo was my boyfriend. Oh fuck yeah, but um, but let me think about. Leia was the one who said, "Okay, if we're gonna not get shot to death by stormtroopers who can't hit anything, but neither here nor there, then we're gonna go into the garbage compactor. Everyone, jump through this. I'm taking control of the situation." Yeah, she was cool and she was bossy, but in a good way. But yes. at the same time, they made her character almost, not quite, but almost unlikable in that very first movie. After that, they softened her considerably and made her almost unrecognizable. Which was crazy. By movie three, Slave Leia pisses me off to this day. Slave Leia was a complete letdown. Complete talk, letdown. Talk, talk about problematic. Yeah, you can't... No, that's not okay. They would never have done that with a dude. Hell no. Did we get Han Solo in a G-string? Damn it. No, we didn't. And I would have killed for that, especially in my teen years. I'm super happy about that. Although I doubt he would have had, like, the bod that we look like. I think even Han Solo back then had a dad bod. You know what, though? In the 70s and 80s, a dad bod is acceptable. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Let's think about the differences between... 
and okay, I think he's fucking amazing. Dwayne the Rock Johnson now versus someone else who I think is fucking fantastic. Kirk Douglas and Spartacus. Think about the differences in those body types. Yeah, I still found both amazingly erotic. Okay, I'm going to totally out you on something now. But for a long time, you also found Putin totally erotic. Oh, my Lord. Did she have to bring that up? That was before 2016 forever. No, it was. It was way before 2016. It was like, I won't say like, it was like Clinton era Putin, but still. Like the Putin on a horse in the middle of the river, you were like sending me pictures going, look at him. Hi. <laughs> Ooh, girl, look at this guy. It, it was W-era Putin. I'm was it? very... It was. Still, I'm, I'm humiliated in retrospect. It was still Putin. Yeah, it was still a total warmonger. Yeah. And it was... I think it was going back to that whole... No, oh, I don't even know how to phrase it. No, there's not... You can't... There's, I can't justify it. I was shit. I was a shit cool. human being. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't say that. I don't think you need to go that far. Maybe you just had some bad taste. At that point, you were still with DB, or you were just leaving that relationship, and, and maybe you were just having some real crisis of self. I don't know. And anyone next to DB would look like a fucking saint, right? Um, I, it's a close <laughs> call, at least. It's close. It's close. We'll call it close. Okay, we'll call it close. All right, let's move on to our next subject, the television show Friends. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's a lot to unpack here. I want to begin with, um, in a previous episode, I talked about my year on the road and being fired and spending two weeks in bed bawling and watching Dr. Pimple Popper. Mm-hmm. Well, Dr. Pimple Popper wasn't all I watched. I also decided, you know, I got nothing better to do. Now's a good time to watch all the old friend episodes again from the beginning. Because with everything going on, I missed the last few seasons. Sure, why not? I got to the Manny episode with Freddie Prince Jr. And I was sitting there, I mean, okay, a bunch of shit rosted was totally socially unacceptable. In general, Ross was totally unacceptable. It borders on airport stalker. It does. You're right. Um, But when I got to the Manny episode, I'm like, okay, so a man wants to be a nanny. Fine. Let's bust the gender norms. But Ross got him fired because he was a jealous little shit. What the hell? That goes back to that toxic masculinity thing. Men can't be nurturing. And it's bullshit. I mean, my dad was nurturing. Why the hell is nurturing? Yeah, what the hell? My dad used to have these wonderful tea parties with us, and he used to make us really cute um, paper doll things. It was so fun. Aw. See, my my dad was all about work all the damn time, which is totally acceptable. He had to. Um, Yeah, but my dad did too. But he would take me to the... um, out onto the, we had a lot of apple trees and we would go fertilize the apple trees while we were doing it. My dad would be like, hey, do you know what monarch butterfly migration is like? And he would sit there and tell me all about it. And I'm like, this is, my dad is the smartest person on the face of the earth. That's so cool. 
I know, aside from mom, who is also the smartest person on the face of the earth, at the smartest <laughs> parents on the face of the fucking earth. That's awesome. I know, but I mean, why can't more dads be like that? And I know part of it is because my dad's mother, I'm so fucking proud of this, in the 1920s in the Midwest had a master's degree. You said that in like almost every episode. I don't give a shit. It's phenomenal. <laughs> it is phenomenal. And she didn't get married till her late 20s. And even then, she told my grandpa, I need 30 days to think about it. Wow. My grandma was a fucking baller. And her favorite aunt was a suffragette in Nebraska. So I come from a long line of kick-ass women. Damn it. Yeah, you do. Well, I think that there's a lot about friends that's problematic. And I do want to say, here's a cool thing. Oh, yeah, friends. <laughs> <laughs> David Schwimmer does training videos for my company. Does he? Yep. Yeah. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. And, and I, I think there was a lot about friends that was problematic. Just the whole Ross and Rachel thing. Once they broke up, they were on a break and then he, you know, she didn't go to Paris because of him. Which what? That was wrong. I'm sorry. Gave up her whole career for a dude. Okay, you so airport soccer guy. I don't think I ever told you this. When I was in college, um, there was one point where he got a job three hours away. And I was still in college. I went to talk one, to one of my professors about it. And I was like, well, I don't know. He's moving so far away. And I don't know what to do because I really love him. And my, and my professor said, well, why don't you transfer to a college closer to him? And I was offended. It's like, why the fuck would I do that? Screw that noise. And I'm like, oh, maybe that should be a warning sign that maybe. And I don't know. Should it be a warning sign or should it be a if we are not valuing each other enough to stay in the same city, maybe it shouldn't go forward. And why didn't Rachel think that? Yeah, I don't know. Because the writers were men, I bet. I haven't researched oh, I'm sure it was men. I bet they were. <laughs> I'm just moving us along our list because Thank you. I want to talk about who's the boss. Do you remember that show back in the 80s, Who's the Boss? I do, because I remember thinking Judith Light was baller. She was a baller. Like, she's in stuff now, and I still think she's a baller. She is. She's phenomenal. She's kind of a badass. But, like, I never understood why it was called Who's the Boss, because... She was clearly the boss. She paid the bills for all the people. There was that slutty mom that she had, which I don't want to slut shame, but the mom was kind of a hoe. She slept with a lot of people, which go her, you know, women empowerment, sleep whoever they want. Owning her sexuality. And I will always remember her as Jessica from Soap. Sure. Yeah. That was badass. But she paid... The salary for Tony Danza. So I don't know what the question about who's the boss is. Like, she was definitely the boss of everybody. And, like, was it a question? Because, like, how could a woman possibly be the boss of Tony Danza? I didn't understand that. I know. Bullshit. You know, I will give the show props for some trailblazing. But at the same time, the title was completely what the fuckness. Yeah, I didn't understand why it was called that. I didn't either. Maybe maybe it's because I was very blessed in having a dad who was more progressive than some others. But still, what the hell? 
Yeah, it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. And, like, staying on the topic of shows, Married with Children, like, oh that entire show, there was nothing that was not misogynistic about that whole show. And this is any of another discussion that John the Brit and I had earlier. He goes, well, wasn't the whole show lambasting everybody? And I'm like, well, to some extent, but think about Al. Most of his trouble came from Peg nagging him, nagging him about his job, nagging him about sex, nagging him about all this stuff, or about Bud, the son, nagging the daughter about slut shaming her, basically. And I'm like, how is that not? Didn't Al have like a woman hater club for a while that he was part of? That's right, he did. Yeah. And that's so, bullshit. Yeah. And yeah. And then they always made fun of Marcy, the next door neighbor. And it was just, that was a horrible show. I didn't like it at all. I never liked it. I always felt like it played to the lowest common denominator of society. And while I saw, I could see humor in it sometimes, just in general, I felt like it was such a bad example of the world. What's weird is that, yeah, I agree. It was a bad example of the the world. I actually enjoyed the show, and I know this is going to sound wild, but because I loved Katie Segal and Christina Applegate. Yep, I liked them both. I'm like, dude. I I couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't watch that show. And I tend to be that way with pretty much any show. And I know that you and I have had discussions about other shows like The Simpsons, that I have been kind of, I don't know. I liked the Simpsons when it was part of the Tracy Ullman show, (laughs) but once it went out on its own, I couldn't watch it because it was too, um, I don't know. I I don't want to use the word rancid, but it was not a positive example of like humanity. And for me, that's always problematic. I get that. And I will admit for years, mostly when I was married to DB, I'm like, but they're a family that loves each other. And now that I'm apart from DB, who is an alcoholic, I go, Marge, what the fuck are you still doing in this relationship? Yeah. And I relate to Lisa more than ever. Yeah. She was neglected and ridiculed for being smart. Like what a horrible life she had. And I hope that you know, you see that and you're like, I hope this child is able to move past this life and blossom and get out. And like, if that were a real family, you would hope that they would find a mentor and be able to move past their upbringing. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say Simpsons is very, very good about teaching the world that there's no black and white. There's shit tons of gray because Marge and Homer do legitimately love each other. But it it's a very problematic love. It's a very codependent love, and it yeah. It, and I don't know that that's positive. There's yeah. love, but there's codependency on the other hand. And is that a positive example to set for people? Homer was borderline abusive to Marge. He really was, and oh my gosh. Okay, I'm flashing back to my first marriage too much, and we need to move past this because I'm gonna okay. cry. Okay. <laughs> Well, let's talk then about Seinfeld. So there was several episodes of Seinfeld that were problematic. They always used to take Elaine and kind of push her into things. But there was one episode in particular that made me just absolutely 
at the time, even I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you do that? So there was this episode where George was like, I don't know if he was interviewing for a job, but there was like this prospective boss that he had. And he got busted looking at this boss's daughter's boobs. And she was like 15 years old. Ah, yeah. And so he said he was trying to say, no, it was just in my field of vision. I wasn't really staring or anything like that. It was just in my field of vision. So what he did is he talked Elaine into going basically tits out, you know, big cleavage showing and talking to his boss. So his boss would look at Elaine's boobs and he could say, see, it's in your field of vision, basically saying men can't control themselves when something is in their field of vision, when boobs are distracting and all of this shit. I was like, what the actual fuck? It, it number one, makes women nothing but objects. And number two, says that men have no autonomy. Yeah. Well, that goes back to the whole thing with like dress codes and stuff at schools. Millie's school has a dress code where, you know, those cold shoulder t-shirts, you can't mm-hmm. wear them because boys might be distracted. And I'm like, what? You know what? Okay. No, that's wrong. Absolutely. It's wrong. If boys are distracted, then they need to like get their shit together. Women can wear whatever they want. Damn straight. Okay. Emily told me one of her friends got in trouble at school because she was wearing one of those cold shoulder tops and she got sent home and dress coded because boys might be distracted by her shoulders. Bullshit. Like, parents? What is this, the 1920s? Parents teach your boys not to be little shits. Right. That's and the like, answer. good luck trying to find a shirt that isn't made that way right now. One of the proudest things, one of my proudest parenting moments is my little boy. His best friend is a girl. Mm-hmm. And um, I asked him one day, just because I was curious, I'm like, do you have a crush on her? And he goes, yeah, mom, I do. But here's the thing. She is a wonderful friend. And I want to be her friend more than I want to be her boyfriend. So if she doesn't like me back, that's okay. And I'm like, I've done something right. I'm a good mom. Yay. I mean, that's awesome. Why can't more men do that? Well, get this. Millie has a boyfriend. (gasps) Does she? She does. And... When he asked if he could be her boyfriend, he asked her first if she had a boyfriend, and she said no. And then he asked if if she thought maybe he could fit in that space. Aww. Which I thought was beautiful. That is sweet. I thought that was a really sweet way to ask. But he has been so thoughtful about the way he approaches her. And I know his father, and he and his father... His father and I were friends a long time before he even knew Millie. Aw. Oh. Is this um, the wedding you did? Yes. Awesome. It's the son. Anyway, um, one time the father and I were having a conversation about our kids and how as they're getting older and we're talking about sex and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I keep telling Millie that you know, one of the things I tell her is that when you say no, that means no. And you don't have to. Just because somebody bought you dinner or just because you went someplace with them, you don't owe them anything. Exactly. Ever. 
for any reason. And he told me that he has told his son consent can be withdrawn at any time. And all you have to do is stop. It's not easy sometimes when you're in the heat of the moment. But if somebody says, please stop, you stop. You have high quality friends. And why is that so hard to teach a boy? Well, that just makes me feel so safe. You know, the fact that we talked about this months before they ever became an item, I say with air quotes, (laughs) and the fact that then later on they became boyfriend and girlfriend makes me feel like the safest boyfriend Millie could ever possibly have. And of course she asked me one day, do you think it would be okay if he was my first kiss? And I'm like, I think it would be absolutely perfect if he was your first kiss. He would be an ideal first kiss for you. Awesome. (laughs) I know, right? She even asked T if it would be okay with him if that was her first kiss. And T said, I can't think of a nicer boy. You know what? Okay, I got to give props to you and T parenting done right that she felt comfortable and safe with you enough to even ask that in the first place i was pretty blown away by that i thought that was kind of amazing that she was like is it okay if i get kissed she's kind of young but this boy is such a good boy you know he's such a nice person and he's kind and he is thoughtful and i think it would be the perfect kind of thing for a first kiss. Awesome. She's a little younger than I was, but not much. That's so yes. cool. All right, moving on to more misogyny. I know, right? Because we got to do that. I want to talk about, do you remember the movie Revenge of the Nerds? Oh my gosh, it makes me fucking sick. I loved that movie at the time, though. But like looking back on it, And I was disturbed by this particular part at the time. So there's the part where the nerd guy dresses up like the boyfriend of the girl he likes and goes into the hot, like the fun house or something and ends up having sex with the girl. I know. Hello. That's rape. Basically, that's rape. I mean, she thinks that's her boyfriend, but it's not. And so, yeah, she might be kind of drunk, but it's not her boyfriend. And even if she thinks that it is, um, that's not okay. No. It might be the best sex of her life. And she ends up liking the nerd after that. Like he takes off her, he takes off his mask at the end and she's like, oh my God, you're the nerd. And then she's not even pissed. That was a total man. Okay. Not man. That was a total boy fantasy because any woman who looked at the person they just had sex with and they, and they took the mask off and it was not the person they thought it would, would be fucking horrified. Scream and run away and find the cops. Damn straight. I mean, that was horrific. And it's, I found that to be very problematic. And even at the time I was disturbed by that. I was like, that doesn't seem right. And then she was okay with it. So I was like, I guess it's okay. She seems fine with it, it, but it it didn't seem okay. It shouldn't be, though. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, okay, same movie, real quick, but when they took the pictures of all the girls in the sorority house and put them in the bottom of the pie tins, it's all yeah. pies, also problematic. Yes. But and when they went think, on the panty raid. Yeah. Also I, problematic. That was gross. 
It was gross. And you think about, too, I mean, these were were all obviously scripted by men who never thought once about how a woman would feel about it. Clearly scripted by men. Yeah. I mean, you think about, too, there there were soap operas I used to love when I was growing up, General Hospital and Days of Our Lives. Both of them had huge super super couples, Jack and Jennifer on Days of Our Lives and Luke and Laura on General Hospital, that the whole relationship sprung out of rape. Really? I don't remember that with Luke and Laura. I didn't oh, yeah. watch the other school, but... Luke, the, uh, Luke raped Laura, and they only became an item later. And I remember... And even at the time, I'm like, this, this is wrong. This is wrong. This doesn't happen. And I don't understand why they thought that was okay. Well, so many romance novels are sprung out of rape. You know, the guy bursts in and she's all freaking out. And like her bosom is bursting through her whatever. And she ends up being raped essentially. And she says no. And the guy keeps going and she finally gives in. And basically that's rape. It is. And, you know. Made a culture out of like saying rape is cool. I know, and it's wrong, and go figure, we ended up where we are, or where we were well, in certain points. Like, think about Sixteen Candles. Remember the movie Sixteen Candles? Oh, Lord. Like, okay, so Molly Ringwald's character is fine, but that Jake dude, he basically, like, his girlfriend gets completely hammered and fucking passed out drunk. And he gives, like, literally just gives his girlfriend to, what's his name, Farmer Ted. And then this sort of, like, it's implied that they had sex in the Rolls Royce. And she couldn't consent to that. She was completely passed out. And then Farmer Ted's all, hit, hit, hit. But it's fine after that. That's cool. I didn't know if you knew that um, Molly Ringwald actually wrote an essay. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, for The New Yorker. Um, during the Me Too movement, where she talked about, in retrospect, some of the movies I did with John Hughes were a little problematic, including, of course, Sixteen Candles. No, I, mean, think, I didn't know that. I, I mean, think about it. She gave Ted her underpants. So yeah, That was creepy. That was creepy. So he could show it to people. Yeah. And you know, think about Ted was also, you know, implied that Caroline... And he had sex and that yeah. Caroline, when she was sober again, said, oh, well, I must, I had the feeling I liked it. I'm like, that's fucked Wrong. up. Wrong anyway. So obviously, and, and with all respect, I love John Hughes movies in the 80s when I was a kid. But yeah, again, very problematic in retrospect. Yeah, but it goes back to, was it, was that behavior acceptable then? Like, I don't feel like rape was acceptable then because it was still rape. But some of that toxic masculinity that we're talking about kind of was acceptable then, you know? Yeah. The bravado, like the underpants thing, and some of that was a little more acceptable then. And that's really sad, isn't it? It is, but that's just the way the world worked back then. So in the same spirit of that, I kind of like with the 16 candles thing, I started looking at some of the old ads and stuff like that. And I came across a loves baby soft ad. Did you ever wear that? No, I did not. I loved it. I thought it smelled so good. Just remember we, we, we didn't do a lot of extras. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
We didn't do a lot of extras, but I had a job. So I bought myself some Love's Baby Soft because I thought it was beautiful and wonderful. And I love the way it smelled. But Love's Baby Soft's, like, their, um, their tagline was, innocence is sexier than you think. And it had all these girls that looked really, really young trying to, like, bite their finger and look sexy and, and like, ew, in retrospect, looking at that is like, what the fuck? That's not okay. A lot of not okay right there. I don't even. I don't even. It's kind of like Brooke Shields and the Calvin Kleins. Nothing yes. becomes between me and my Calvins. Exactly like that. It's exactly. Like, she was like 14 when she made that. That's just, that's horrifying. That's one year older than Millie. No. Oh my lord, no. <laughs> I know, right? And I, I have to mention for viewers who couldn't see how wide your fucking eyes got at that. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's a lot of no. Um Oops. that's just like I was like blown away like the innocence is sexier than you think. I thought, wow, that is just inviting pedophilia all over the place. No shit. And but I you know for a long time, this goes back to that whole what used to be acceptable. Men and women used to get married. Well, I say men and women. People used to get married when they were in their early teens. You know, people Ugh. would get married. Women would, girls would be 13, 14 years old when they'd get married. You know, Marie Antoinette was only 15 when she got married. Right. So people used to get married when they were very, very young. But also think about, though, the life expectancy was only like 40 years. True. Average of 40 years. Right. Right. So, you know, if you're going to wait, if you're only going to live to 40 years, you should get married when you're 12. <laughs> <laughs> Plus the whole political marriage was a whole other animal. Right, right, right. That's a totally different thing. But farmers' wives and things like that, they were probably 12 when they got married because they were only going to live to be 30. <laughs> you're gonna, if you're going to have kids and be able to, like, sustain the breed, you need to start doing it when you're young. <laughs> sustain the breed. I love that. Well, you know, we're not going to love that now. We don't think that's appropriate now. But we also have medical advances that show us that we can live longer. And so we can uh, wait until we're in our 20s to get married. But back then they couldn't because everybody's going to die when they're in their 20s. Very true. And, you know, I will admit my own family... Okay, while my one grandma was a baller, my my other grandmother was told, you only need as far as an eighth grade education because you're going to get married and you aren't going to need school. Sure. And, uh, and she got married at 17. And so that was that's not an unacceptable age for that time frame. You know, back in the day, that's when people got married. And while she lived in 96, everyone only thought she'd live to like, 40 tops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably why she was so angry. That, you know, actually, I think that is. But that's a whole other episode. Well, maybe you could have introduced her to the song She-Bop. Yes. I was today years old when I learned that She-Bop was actually about masturbation. I had no <laughs> idea. I had I literally had no idea. It was when I was researching this episode that I'm like looking for inappropriate things and stuff like that that I was like, "Wait, what? That's what?" And so then I thought, 
ah, and I looked up the lyrics and I'm like, holy shit, that is about masturbation. <laughs> I had no idea. It's like a feminine anthem, apparently. Brilliant that I just brought up my grandmother as part of this discussion. And creepy. And creepy. Ew. Okay. Damn it. Thank you. Um, but the very first album I bought, very unironically, <laughs> was She's So Unusual by Cindy Lauper. <laughs> and I got it from my grandmother for my for Christmas that year. Did you really? Same I grandmother? Did. Same grandma. Oh, Jesus Christ. Neither of us had any idea. It was about five years ago that I figured out that I, that I, not that I figured out, that I learned it was about masturbation. And I was like, ooh. And at that time, my grandma was still alive. And I'm like, part of me deep inside was like, should I tell her? She would that hate that. So good. Maybe I should tell her. But I didn't. Should have told because... her. I would have killed her earlier. <laughs> I just could have had a better last five years. <laughs> just in fairness. I knew Gina's grandmother and she was a complete bitch. <laughs> I know. I, I like to think that now that she's passed on, she is a lot more understanding and, and knows all these wonderful things that make her a better person. Um, but yeah, she was a bitch when she was alive. There's no getting she was around. A total bitch. Passive aggressive bitch and a half. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, she was no, not okay. She was the person who'd leave the price tags on your Christmas presents. You knew just how much she valued you. And she valued my cousin, who is a male, six times as much as she valued me. Yeah. Anyway, yes. I digress. Okay. But yeah, so Shebop. God bless you. I had no idea, literally no idea until today. And I was like, wow. And apparently there's like this whole genre of stuff that's grown out of that. Like there's a porn shop in Portland, Oregon named after that, like a feminine porn shop named after that. I was like, oh, we should take a, we should take a road trip. Cindy Lauper is also fucking baller. She is. Apparently I love she's got like some skin disease because she's on one of those skin disease commercials like eczema or something. Is she? Oh, I love her even more. She's amazing. Eczema or psoriasis or something like that. Damn. Is there anything that woman can't do? Nope. And if no one has ever heard her version of I Drove All Night, you need to go listen to it now because it's fucking beautiful. She was awesome. I love Cindy Lauper. Oh, hell yeah. And she still looks good. She does. Not that that matters. No, but she does. Like, she doesn't look like she's had a bunch of work done, which is always a, a pleasure for me. I have to say, I'm always... <laughs> Cattily pleased when some like formerly hot, like I have to admit, T has always wanted Jennifer Aniston as his exception girlfriend. <laughs> and the other day in that new Netflix show that she's in with Adam Sandler, uh-huh. I haven't watched it, but like the, the still pictures and a couple other pictures that I've seen of her, she looks like she's had some work done and it's like Meg Ryan-esque. Oh no. She doesn't, she doesn't look good. Like her lips aren't fish lips, but she's got like the big cheeks that stick up over your eyes kind of thing. And I'm like, oh, Jennifer Aniston, that's too bad. That is too bad because she was very naturally beautiful. She was, well, she was naturally pretty. I don't know. She was beautiful. She oh, just pretty. every day, you know? She looked like a normal person, which was cool. And I liked that. Yeah. But I gotta say, I like the T's girlfriend. Doesn't look so good anymore. <laughs> 
I think uh, John the Brits would be Olivia Newton-John, and she's still hot, so that's disturbing. She is, but her cheeks are puffy. You know, the person I feel probably, okay, I'm going to, we may cut a bunch of this too, because I don't want to surgery shame, but Jocelyn Wildenstein. Oh, my Lord. Oh, I'm like, oh, honey, honey, you were so pretty to start with. Why did you... We can surgery shame. That's fine. Okay. It's one of the reasons why I like our personal heroes, Helen Mirren and Judy Dench so much. Yeah. And here's the thing. I think that women, I think it's okay if you get plastic surgery because you want to look better for you. I feel like if you are getting plastic surgery because you feel pressured to look and maintain some societal expectation, that goes back to this misogyny that we're talking about. Exactly. And um, I will admit there is only one plastic. Okay. There's a couple plastic surgeries that we get. One is to put my body where it be had I not been 330 pounds. But the other is the my Aunt Lena, who I talked about in a prior episode. Right. She had a big goiter on her neck. Huh. I used to literally have nightmares about that goiter. I would I would go home after a visit to Uncle Oli and Aunt Lena, and I would dream that I was growing goiters all over my body. So I swear, if I get a goiter on my neck, I'm having that fucker knocked off as quickly as possible. But that's me. That's my own little hang-up. It's yeah. not... It's not because I want to look a certain way. I used to hate my nose back when I had more hangups because my nose is, I, I love my nose now. It It's very nice. It's very distinct. It comes out to a very nice point from the side, but from the front, it's a little weird and pushy, squishy. I agree. I've never liked my nose either. I like it from the front. I'm the opposite of you. I like it you from are. the front, but from the side, I don't like it because it doesn't have a dent. Like, it goes straight from being my forehead to being my nose. Like, there's no dent. Whereas I think you have a very Da Vinci nose. Um, I think yeah, I it's just... It's not good. Da Vinci's nose was a hook bullshit nose. <laughs> he had, like, a big no. old hook in his nose. No, not Da Vinci's nose. Da Vinci painting nose. Or Raphael painting noses. They had that profile. You have I a guess. Jew Barrymore. You have a Jew Barrymore profile. Fucking. You have a Jew Barrymore profile with that kind of non-divot thing. Um, but I've learned to love my nose, but I cannot stomach the idea of having a goiter and giving children, giving six year old nightmare, six year olds nightmares. For me, my thing is <laughs> my mother has developed what I'll call vagina neck. <laughs> she has these two flaps that kind of hang down from her chin and they come together, and there's like a little hole, like where right where her this would be her trachea. And there's a hole there where the where the flaps kind of come together, and it looks like a vagina. And I can't even, and I don't want to have a vagina neck. No, I I think surgery for things like that though are perfectly acceptable because it's how are we comfortable in our skin, and not that. But I think there has to be some level of I want to become comfortable in my skin for me and not yes. for anyone else. Yes, for me, but not for anybody else. It's because of me. I want to look this way. I don't I don't want to look this way or I do want to look this way. 
I don't want to do it for anybody else. I want to do it for me. Exactly. Like, like my tattoos. John Same. The Brit, John the Brit's not the most, not the biggest fan of tattoos. But mm. you know what? I'm like, you know what, honey? I'm getting them for me. And he goes, well, if that's what makes you happy, then that makes yeah. me happy. T never thought he would be with a woman with tattoos. And then I've got lots of them now. And he's like, hmm. And now he has one. And he's actually <sighs> contemplating another one. Is he? Oh. You swayed him. I, I like that. I've corrupted his pure heart. You bad, bad girl. I am. You're a bad girl who be, should be drinking the dirty martini. I am. I should be, but I'm not because that's got olive juice, and olive juice is gross. <laughs> just as gross as gin. Olive's just a fruit. Yeah, I don't like it, though. Like, I could do capers. When you come visit, I will take you to a place that has this beautiful food that's got, a, like, a sauce with capers in it, because I know you'll love it. I love capers so much. I like capers, but I can't olives. Weird that that's a line to draw, because they're very similar in... They are similar. It's just, maybe it's a texture? I don't know. It's a texture slash taste? I don't know. It's just a difference. Hmm. Interesting. But, yeah, I get that. So, yeah. Anyway, back to topic. Shall we wrap it up? We should wrap it up. Wrap up. End of thesis statement. Women are people and not objects. And please treat us as such. Okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs) Well, it's not exactly how we end this, but... Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being with us every week. We hope you'll drink with us again next week. If you want to hear more from us or read about our cocktails, our website's alwaysneverwrite.com. There's links there to our Facebook page, which is Always Never Write Podcast. You can join there and start a dialogue with us. If there's anything you ever want to hear us talk about, we also have Instagram at Always Never Write. We've got pretty pictures of our drinks. This week, we're going to put up my drink and Gina's drink. So you'll get to see pictures of both. And we've got Twitter at always never rate. So tweet us, ask questions, whatever, both on Twitter, Instagram, or on Facebook. I say both. I mean, on any of them. And, um, uh, you know, and of course, we aren't professional advice giver people. And clearly, we are only just starting to be adults. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. We had a listener we were going to give a shout out to. Oh, yes, we are. Lucille Morgan, thank you so much for your comments on our Facebook page. We really enjoyed interacting with you, and we look forward to talking with you more in the future. So thank you so much for that. This has been another boozy episode of Always. Never. Right. I'm the non-misogynistic Jill Farrell. And I'm the incredibly progressive she-woman, Gina Biggs. (laughs) Yes, you are. Yes, I am. Fucking hell I am. Thank you so much for making us a part of your week. And we'll talk to you more next week. My beautiful dolls, we love you. Standard disclaimer. Always Never Write is in no way, shape, or form performed or produced by professional advice givers. We've just lived a lot. So if any of our life experiences prove useful, we're happy to share, especially if we can share in an entertaining way. But if you have serious problems, please see a therapist, doctor, psychiatrist, life coach, or someone who is actually trained to know what the hell they're doing when passing out advice. 
Also, please note that most names and the descriptions of many events have been modified to both make things more entertaining and to protect the innocent, the not-so-innocent, and the flat-out guiltiest sin assholes.